Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Property Podcast, and thank you very much for listening. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I've been breaking the months down into separate topics so that we cover a separate topic every single month. And I thought the first month of 2018 would be a really good place to start with finance. I know that it's a very key thing for every single person invested in property, whether you, because you, you need finance, whether you're an investor or a developer. If you're a developer, you want more finance to have more deals. And if you're an investor, you've got to know how to look after those deals. And hopefully over this month, we're going to help you out with that. So sort of how to get it, why you need it, and what to look for when you're looking in your investments. Today, as always, we are sponsored by the Real Estate Slackers. So that is a free Slack group that myself and John Corey created. You can get access to that at realestateslackers.com. So guys, I am so excited for today's podcast. The person that I have on today, I was grilled by uh, as a developer, and he was a potential investor in one of my deals a long, long time ago. And I always tell people that I was grilled by this man, but I learned more on that phone call than anybody else has managed to teach me. Um, so now it's my turn to grill him. And that is Manish Kataria. So Manish, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very, very excited that you've come onto the show. I know that you've got a very impress- impressive blog post, which showcases how the pros create wealth and it has seven steps and we are going to delve into that, but I really do want to start with a slightly selfish question. And I meet a lot of potential investors. And one of the questions that I'm always thinking about, because I'm always trying to be better all the time and trying to learn, is when you meet a potential developer or someone that you're going to invest in potentially, what are the things that you're looking for or you're observing? <sighs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Ryan. Um, before I start, let me just say I'm really privileged to, to be asked to come on this. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and you know, every time I've listened, I've always got some value out of it. So, hoping, well, you've set the bar pretty high, actually, so I'm <laughs> to be able to continue along those themes. Assessing a developer, yeah, that's, um, that's a really good question because I find people tend to kind of do it the other way around, and, and I think people should always look at the developer first, speak to them, get a feel for what they're good at doing. And before you even get sort of attracted to the shiny penny of the high returns of the deal, have a chat with the developer, sit down. And what I would want to get out of of my conversation uh, with the developer, you know, ultimately investors want good projects and they want good and, and safe returns on their capital. But for a developer, I would say, you know, understand what the investor, what they want, what they want, and what are their fears. And you need to be able to sort of connect with investors. Some people are really good at that. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good skill to have. Be open and transparent. You know, provide information when you're requested. Follow up, keep them updated. You know, communication is, is the biggest thing. And so communicate as much as you can with, with investors. As you know, Ryan, development has its ups and downs, so you have to keep yeah. investors updated with you know, both the good news and the bad. Yeah. So those are the sort of high-level things that um, 
I would, I would always advise uh, developers to keep in mind. Um, in terms of, you know, from my point of view, uh, what do I look for from, from, invest, from developers? As an investor, I, I'd want to see what their track record is like, what sort of experience they've got, what type of projects they've undertaken, and, and then look into some of the quantitative aspects of their track record, ROIs, timeframes, what's their cost management record like. And, you know, finally on that track record, you know, ask the developer how their results came in versus their initial projections. So that's, that's one thing on the track record. You'd, you'd also want to try and get a feel for what is the developer's edge. You know, by that I mean, you know, what makes them special? So as a developer, you want to try and bring out your competitive advantage um, as, as a developer. But do you know that particular area better than anyone else? Mm. Is there some specialist knowledge you have in-house, e.g. the planning system, or does somebody in your team have that? Is the, is the developer good at identifying off-market opportunities? Or is there any other sort of niche? Um, I think you had um, Nick Carlisle on uh, a few weeks yes. ago. And you know, his, his niche is hotels, and uh, you know, that's a clear competitive advantage that he's got. So, yeah. so that's the kind of thing I would want to be hearing as an investor. You know, what makes the developer special? Hmm. I love that. I, I love that. Yeah. Sorry to jump in on you. I just really, yeah. I like that. I love the way that your brain works. Thanks. Yeah. And um, I, I appreciate your comments earlier about the grilling and uh, <laughs> looking forward to, but I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll go easy on me. I'll go easy <laughs> now, on you. Now the tables are turned. Um, the next thing I would be looking at is the, is the quality of, of your, of your team, of the developers team. Yeah, and the team can be you know internal or or external in terms of what type of um, professionals the um, the developers using. Again, it's it's about execution. The one thing the investor wants to know is you now how well can this developer execute the project? Because you you might have a cracking project with with great ROIs, but that's only achievable if, if it can be executed. So mm. one, of the, um, one of the factors behind execution is, is the quality of the team. <clears throat> so by this, I'm talking about good planning consultants or good planning contacts or expertise somehow, um, using a good architect for, uh, for the scheme design and you know, other professionals and not skimping on, on, on um, expenses on sort of QSs independent accountants just using good people and and investing in good people to be part of the team mm. and the final thing i would say is um we've kind of already mentioned it but openness and transparency you know that's really important for investors as investors if you're investing your hard-earned capital you want you want the developer to be responsive and uh, and that's called good investor relations right so mm. Is the developer open and transparent with everything uh, that they're saying? Um, do you have a sense for whether your questions are being answered properly? Um, you know, are the, if you are promised any follow-ups, did they did they get delivered? And you know, generally, once you're ready to move on to the deal itself, you know, ask lots and lots and lots of questions on on track record, the deal itself, and the risks and everything, because you know, ultimately, if you don't if you don't get a good response before you invest, 
you know, imagine how hard it's going to be to get a good response after you've invested. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a, in a good in a good way because the developer yeah. is um is busy um executing yeah. the the project, so you know they'll obviously have their hands full. But it's it's an area which a lot of developers do do kind of neglect sometimes, and it's it's something they should really focus on. Mm, completely agree with you there. Just sort of touching on a on a couple of them, I think that the asking questions is the is the key one for me. And I always say to people when I I hear them talking to me about how they've they've been burnt in investments and you know what what should they do next time they meet a developer and it is it is literally just what you have have laid out there that you've got as a developer you've got to understand and try and it's a people business you've got to try and understand what the investor wants and if you are open then all of those questions aren't actually an issue for you because you're completely open and you haven't got an agenda and if you are it shows a level of competency if you can answer all of those questions and that's what sets you apart from somebody else so i always yeah. do say to them just ask the questions and see how they respond to them yeah and totally. go from there and i love the one about the team as well um because development has ridiculous costs to it um just all the time i mean like on the wildlife deal for example i've spent five thousand pounds on an environmental survey. Now I need that I need that survey to to move it forward. But that is a cost. And don't and by scrimping on those, you're gonna just delay the whole development, you're gonna devalue it, or you might not even get it off the ground. Um, so yeah, I think the team is a main, is a really important one linked with the cost as well. Once you've got a good team. Um, behind you, you can you can really move forward, and they're going to bring their expertise, and you're going to learn a hell of a lot more about developments, and you're going to be able to answer some of those questions much easier. Easier. Yeah, yeah. That we. So it's all about it's all about giving the investors confidence yes. in your ability, and all of those things that you've just mentioned, all of the things that you've done, and, and the team, and and everything else. It just all goes to giving the investor confidence in you. Yeah, because there's two goals when you're meeting an investor. You want to show that you have a level of, of knowledge, a deep level of knowledge on your um, subject and on your developments, your niche. And you also want to be likable. Um, and that's quite difficult to do both of those things in tandem. It is. It is. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Yeah, I mean, if you've got those two qualities, <clears throat> then um, yeah, that will get you really far. Mm. Yeah. That's what I uh, am striving to to achieve. Yeah. Well, you're you're great because you know I, I think I've said this to you before. I think you're really good at connecting with people and um, and you know explaining and communicating, and, and you know makes you likable. But it also gives you know it gave me when I spoke to you about your deals it gave me a lot of confidence that actually you know you're willing to have this conversation and and you're willing to give information. And, and yeah, you know what you're doing. That's that's ultimately what I was looking for. Thank you. I just I just try to be as open as possible with everybody. Um, I've got lots of experience in property, and it's, it varies from lots and lots of different things. And it's taken me a long time to sort of get to this level. And I've only just sort of realised 
in the last few few months, um, which is I think one of my speakers might have just gone out. Um, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you fine. Yeah, yeah. So, can you hear me, Manish? I think I can I, hear. Uh, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, speaker may have just gone. Out. Oh, can you hear me? <clears throat> you can't hear me, I guess. No. Sorry, guys. I think the uh, something happened right then with my uh, with my headphones. So I don't know what happened there. Um, so I've actually, I will pick up from hopefully where we left off. And um, yeah, I, think I was I was just saying to to Manish about how I try to be open and, and transparent with um, with everybody. That's just the way that I try to conduct my business. And I'm, I genuinely do want to build these personal relationships. I don't take on lots and lots of investors all at once. And I try to work with a small group. Um, I just think it's easier to, to manage. And also you can create some fantastic relationships that benefit all parties. And I know that you have got a seven-step process, which is what we're going to delve into onto this podcast, Mish. But just before we do that, I would like for you to tell the audience about the website which you've created. Yeah, sure. Uh, the website is uh, investlikeapro.co.uk. <clears throat> and... Um, so, uh, let me just take a step back and explain, you know, what, what I thought was the problem. So, yeah, given, given my, I mean, I've, I've been a fund manager for, for most of my career and uh, analyzing investments and managing money for JP Morgan, etc. So I, I kind of have that analytical framework and thinking. And so when I, <clears throat> when I started looking at property in a, in a serious way, I came across so many investors who kind of invested their capital almost blindly. Um, I mean, you know, not taking enough time to do due diligence and their own independent analysis. And I was, at first I was thinking, well, hang on, am I kind of overdoing it? But then I realized actually people are just underdoing it, <laughs> right? So, and that really troubled me because, you know, I, they might be taking on risks that they're not aware of. And... And, you know, at the same time, it's now becoming easier to invest into, into property deals through crowdfunding platforms, etc. So, you know, because I understand things like analysis and diversification, risk management, I, I wanted to find a way to kind of share that stuff. And some of these concepts only exist in professional fund management, but there's, you know, there's no reason why ordinary investors can't, can't be doing the same thing. So yeah. I guess I wanted to... Sort of find a way to bridge that gap. I had something which I can share on, and um, you know, I thought there was a, a big need for people to to apply more kind of risk management and analysis into into some of the things they were they were investing in. So you know, that's how Invest Like a Pro was born. Mm. So it's a website for investors who've got capital to to invest. And, and they want better and more sustainable returns in a, in I guess, in a more diversified way. Um, yeah. It's, it's for those people who want to invest capital in, in a more rigorous way and looking at sort of the opportunities which, which actually make sense. Um, so that's essentially what it is. I mean, I'm not holding it. I've, I've published um, three articles on there which, which are 
open for anyone to go and have a look at. I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm not holding anything back. I just want to kind of get my insights out there, things that I've accumulated um, as a professional fund manager. And, you know, the true purpose, as I said, of, of this site is to bridge the gap between how the professionals invest and how ordinary investors should be investing and, and really how they can think like the pros. I think um, I'm very glad that you've done this website. It's, um, so I think it's an excellent resource for, for developers, for people looking for investment and um, for investors as well. And I think the, the simple, the way you've simplified it is fantastic. And I think everybody can learn something from that. And if you, if you follow your sort of teachings, then you're not going to go too far wrong. And uh, I think it would be quite a good time to uh, to delve into this seven-step process in which you've um, you've created and wrote a blog post on. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. I, I also wanted to mention that. Look, it's I have to give a lot of this credit to to. Okay, so sorry guys, I don't know what's happening with my connection. I'll try and edit out some of these chunks in between. Um, so I think right now is a really good part to start talking about this seven step process because you you spoke Manish about how the website is going to bridge the gap between how the pros do it and I know that that's the title of the blog post so now it's time for me to be quiet and just listen to your expert knowledge right okay well, what I also wanted to mention Ryan is that um, yep. <clears throat> on, on the website itself I have to give a lot of credit to our good friend Brad Lazarus because he He's the one who kind of almost brought this to life, and you know, not only is he a good online marketer, I mean, that's that's his yeah. expertise, but he kind of he saw the value that I could have brought along, and he and he sort of brought this to to life for me. So I have to give him a lot of credit for helping me to to get through this. Um, so yeah, on the actual post itself so this was the I think you're referring to the first one I wrote the, the seven-step process um, on, on how how to make money from from development or how to how investors can make money from development so yeah it, this was an almost like an introductory post and um, what I I guess I start off with by when I speak to investors I, I work with a few investors who who I, I the first thing I always ask them is you know what do you want to get out what what are your objectives do you want to do you want to achieve capital growth income generation or do you want to preserve your capital and those are the three most common scenarios which which investors um, have and so from there you can move on to your risk tolerance level because the reason you're investing will dictate um, what sort of risk tolerance you can take on and then what sort of strategies that you can invest in. So those are the first things um, I would be looking at. Once you've, once you've got that out of the way, you've established where the investor has established where, where, where they want to invest and what sort of risks that they want to take on. You then, and, and here we're talking about development deals and establishing a portfolio of, of development projects and development opportunities. So the first thing, before you even look at the deal, and we've already touched upon this, is, is do DD on the developer. Um, I won't spend too much time on this because we've already discussed this, but you know, the same things as we talked about before, track record, 
the team and, and those sort of things. So once, you're, once you've done, the, done your DD, you're happy with the developer, and then you, um, you, know, then you move on to the project itself. And um, on, on this particular step, I've just published a new post on, on looking at the project and looking at the deal, how to analyze the whole deal from uh, start to finish. But essentially, it's, it's, um, it's the following. So A, know it's debt versus equity. Is it debt or is it equity? Then you look at the um, GDV, do your own stress tests on, on GDV. Um, you do some sensitivity analysis. And then you make sure that there is a plan B and plan C or even a plan D for exit strategies, which is really very, very important. I find a lot of developers don't really do these steps. Uh, you know, they don't really do much stress testing. They don't really have multiple plans for exit strategy. Um, they may to an extent, but I think it's always good for investors to do their own independent analysis on, on these things. Yeah. Um, because, you know, plan A doesn't always work out. So it's always worth thinking about alternative planning scenarios um, or alternative sales or refinance strategies. Hmm. So once you've, once you've looked at the deal and, you know, assume you've invested in, in that particular project, I think it's really important to build a portfolio of these things. So if, if you've got some, an amount of money in your pot that you want to invest, then put it all into, into one investment. You know, diversify, and that's the, that's the most fundamental rule of investing is diversify in a proper way. So that means, you know, you build a portfolio. And um, so the first aspect of that portfolio is, is risk versus return, right? So, you know, it's a rule in life that risk is correlated to return. So in property, you have, you have the same, but it's quite possible to compare different opportunities um, where you can have two development opportunities where they have similar rates of return, but you might find one that has a lot lower risk. So you want to make sure that the type of investments you um, invest in and that you include into your portfolio have the best return for your risk or the lowest risk for the return that you, you are looking for. And, and we, you know, I've seen this on a few occasions where you get opportunities which have actually strangely low risk but just the same returns. And, and that's what I'm always looking for. And that's what investors should be looking for. Um, and then, you know, we talk about diversification, but there's different levels of diversification. So you can diversify across geography. So you might have some exposure to projects in London and Birmingham to the Northwest or the East Midlands or, you know, whatever. So that's one way to diversify. But you also want to diversify, you know, across different types of projects. So you might be invested in planning uplift projects or build outs or, or debt uh, investments. So it's, it's always good to you know, spread your investments across different types. Um, and also you, you should really be investing across different developers. Don't be exposed just to the one developer. You know, spread your risk around. So that's kind of one level of diversification. But then you can also diversify by the source of risk. Right, so this is something that the pros do quite well. Um, you know, don't put all your investments into high-risk projects, and equally, don't put your investments into low-risk projects. What 
some investors do is adopt a barbell approach. So you have a fair few investments in the high risk and a fair few investments in the low risk buckets. And that diversifies your level of risk quite nicely across the whole portfolio. And oh, the, the other important thing to mention is that you, know, you can go through all of these steps and think you're well diversified optically, but then you might, if you delve a little bit deeper, you know, if, what if you as an investor have invested in three or four different cities, maybe more, you've invested across different project types, but then when you look into it further, if you've invested in new builds, for example, in the big cities, you might be taking some unintended risk. So, for example, it's, it's well known certain international investors like investing in, in a big city center projects, apartment blocks, that sort of thing. Let's, let's take China, for example. We've, we've had a, a huge amount of liquidity coming in from China over the last few years. And they, they've invested in certain types of projects. Now, what if that liquidity dried up? So one day, what if the Chinese government decided we need to clamp down on foreign investment from China? Um, you know, they want to keep their money domestically. Then you're exposed to a lot of these risks, which you might not have considered before because, you know, you, you might not have been diversified in terms of end buyer for, for your unit. So that's why you should have a lot of exposure, I think, to owner-occupier uh, markets, end markets. Um, there's a huge demand in the UK for, for housing, as we all know, We've got a huge shortage of supply and end occupiers are, uh, are struggling to get onto the market. So that, that demand, that source of demand, you know, is unlikely to dry up anytime soon. Mm. I'm just going to jump in on that there as well. Yeah. And say, I, that's, uh, that is my target market as well when we're looking to do a, a sale. And I, I really like it because there's so many different variables that you can add onto that as well. So you can add things like the, the help to buy scheme, and then you're going to give a percentage of towards their legal fees which then helps the marketing and it helps absolutely everything um, and I think that's a really key point that that you've mentioned there it's about the the end user of that project if it's going if you're selling it solely for investment and it's to Chinese and then that dries up what are you going to be left with um, so that was just me just jumping in. I'll let you yeah. get back to it. Yeah, no, no, it's a really good point. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> it, those, as you say, those opportunities are so rich and diverse because you have the help to buy scheme yeah. and um, you have, we know the population is increasing domestically and people want to buy their own uh, property, right, to, to live in. So there's huge demand. It's a really good area to be focused on. Um, the next thing I would say is, you know, monitor your portfolio. So if you've got a portfolio of development projects going, running at the same time, you want to be able to monitor them, monitor all of them properly in, at the portfolio level and, and also assign KPIs to your investments. So, so you want to know things like, you know, what is your average investment size? What is the overall portfolio duration? What percentage of your portfolio is exposed to the the London area or the, or the southeast um, and to other regions as well and what percentage is exposed to what we talked about earlier planning risk versus build out uh, and you know finally how is your exposure exposure split between the different developers so that all gives you additional 
Um, it's, a, it's an additional tool to help you risk manage the whole portfolio. And, and these are some of the things that you know, I, I've set up for some investors that I, I've worked with um, and, and for myself as well, of course, right? And it, and it helps me to give me an at-a-glance view of how the portfolio is looking at any one particular time. And just finally on that, you know, you want to set KPIs for each investment. Um, again, I've got a I've got systems set up to monitor KPIs, and this is useful for getting updates on how each of your projects is coming along, what what the latest GDV updates are, cost updates, timeframes, and it's really useful for monitoring how your developers are performing. Uh, you know, so so again, there's a there's a more detail in the in the post that um, that you mentioned that we're talking about here. Yeah. And then can that, I just jump in yeah. just yeah, quickly? Please just please like, please um, can you just, I know I might be putting you on the spot here, um, but a couple, could you just give a couple of rough KPIs? Because I think that would be quite good for both the people listening that are developers and also the investors listening. Because if I'm, the, what I've just been thinking listening to you speak is that you're doing this and creating KPIs that you're monitoring. It might be a good idea for me to then input upon my timeline some KPIs that, that, you, that you've got that yeah. I can send to that investor. Whether they've got them or not or you know, they're interested in them, I think that might be a good practice for me going forward to put them into my development so that I can showcase slightly more skills if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah for sure and you know showing showing your proactive so the kind of things that i look at um and and have set up are time frames so, so essentially we're looking at the the things that are going to affect your roi by the end of the project so yeah. when the project starts you you expect an roi of x percent and by the time the project finishes you know a lot of things might change and you want to be top of um, all of those things. So the biggest determinants of what your returns will be by the end of the project are, are the various components, so GDV, right? That's, that's the biggest component of, your, of yeah. your returns. So GDV will be affected by how the market is moving six months on after you've invested. How, how has the market moved? I mean, I say six months, but actually I, I get updates every month so th these are monthly updates uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, so you know obviously over a one month period the market may not change that much but it's still good to get updates on this sort of thing, on this sort of thing so find out how the market might have moved um, compared to when you first in invested is the GDV estimate still the same has it risen has it fallen uh, you want to try, try and get um, you know the magnitude of that change versus the initial expectation so that's the first thing you want to get um, updates on build costs so again build costs do change over the lifetime of of a project um, so you want to get an update on how that is now looking what is the latest update on that professional fees again that's that's, um, that's a big uh, determinant and um, and also timeframes, right? So when you first in, invested into a project, you, your expectation was this project will take 12 months, but actually that might have moved. It might have moved positively. So actually my developer is now telling me it's only gonna take 10 months or you know, it might have been delayed by two months for whatever reason. But it's always good to keep tabs on this and 
constantly update your your own uh, spreadsheet, your own tools to to account for that. You know, timeframes have an impact on on finance costs or bridging costs and things. So all of these things come together to to give you your latest update. Um, and and also my tools remind me to to update. It monitors when I last updated the project. And if it's been more than one month since I got my last update, it, it alerts me to say, look, you need to get an update on, on X or Y from, from the following developers. So, so that's, it, you know, I, I, I monitor this quite closely because um, if you don't, then you can let things slip. Hmm. I think that's, um, I like that. I do, quite a lot of those are done, but not so systemized for me into the, the sort of, that model, the KPI model. I mean, I'm always talking about the time frame and updating investors if it's going shorter or longer, and why that is, and um, and the build costs as well. But I, I think what I might do is look to build because I'm a geek and I love my technology and systems and stuff. I might look to build a, a KPI spreadsheet which I can share with investors, which then I update monthly. Um, yeah, but that's just. That's just yeah, me thinking out loud now. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. Good idea. I'm happy to help you with that, Ryan. Uh, yes, I've seen your spreadsheets, and yeah. they are pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, well, this this one is um this one's you know it's relatively simple I, I would say you know because it's got the main information on there. With all these things, you know, you you have to strike a balance between getting too complex and and having something that what is functional. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, and and there's, a, there's a screenshot of it on, on the blog post, actually. So, is, I have it up in front of me, looking at it now. Okay, good. And I, um, I think, yeah, I'm going to definitely look at building one of these for, um, for investor update purposes, because I think it's a really nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you, you'll be, you know, over and above most other developers if you, if you, you know, show investors that you, you do this and you're proactive and it will give you a huge competitive advantage over over other developers. You see, that's a huge bit of information for anybody listening right there. If you go back to the start of the podcast when Manish was talking about your competitive advantage, now if you've got this kind of system and you've worked with other developers and other investors, sorry, and then when you're meeting a new investor, say Manish, and he asks what kind of projects you've been doing before, and you can show him something like this, that is going to be so crucial. Like Manish said about the competitive advantage and the edge, this is all part of it. And this is coming straight from you, Manish, as, as a potential investor. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted yeah. to make sure yeah. that that was a bit of gold that I just wanted to make sure that nobody, nobody missed out on. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would say, Ryan, is that um, it's really important to rebalance your portfolio. So if you have a, you know, eight or 10 projects running uh, at the same time in the portfolio, or, or even if it's five or whatever, it's really crucial to rebalance. So when projects come to an end, when you have your, when you have your capital back and your returns, and you know you want to rebalance it, and um, you want to rebalance your portfolio. Move into, you know, put your money into the, the next best project. You know, make sure that it's constantly invested. If that's your pot of capital, you, you don't want your capital to be earning next to no interest. 
So re- rebalance, and, and it's all about compounding. You know, compounding is so powerful. Oh, um, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's, you, you don't realize it until you actually see, see the results of it. It's yeah. because it, it, it seems like insignificant when you're looking at it for the first time, but it's the impact it has on your portfolio at the, at the end of the day. And it's so powerful. It's so, so huge. And I know that me and you have both got trading interests as well. And we could probably do a whole podcast right now on compounding when trading. And it's exactly the same going into property. And once you understand compounding, the power that it has is unbelievable. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. I I might actually do a blog post on compounding uh, later on, actually. So that is one that I will definitely... I would definitely like to read. Yeah, good. So, yeah, that's 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 the end of the um, of the seven step process. Actually, um, I am so. Yeah, again, you can read read more about uh, all of this on on the site. And where can if people want to go and read this blog post, I will put a link below as well, so everybody can get it, and I'll put it on all the posts and stuff. But just just give us that URL again. Yeah, it's www.investlikeapro.co.uk. Cool. And like I say, I just want to reiterate, I'm so glad that you you have done that. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you just before I let you go. And the first one is, what characteristics do you see in yourself as a seasoned pro investor? Oh, Okay. I know, that's a tough one. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed and just infatuated with the way that other people react and interact and the way they think. So that's where this question came from. Yeah, yeah. Put me on the spot. Okay, so I, I, yeah. um, I guess, you know, drawing upon my experience and my exposure, it's, it's taught me obviously how to analyse investments, um, understand what makes money and, and what doesn't. And um, and also we talked about this earlier, building portfolios in a in a truly probably diversified way. Uh, mm-hmm. So those those are the things that I would start off. But you know the big thing I would say, I mean, I'm talking about professional investors now in, in general, and and this is something I've been fortunate enough to pick up. It's it's risk management. That's the big thing. That's what mm-hmm. separates professional investors from ordinary investors. You know, it's identifying those risks, um, de-risking, and diversifying your risks, and and then whatever le- whatever risks you're left with, managing those to your to your best ability. And and again, we can go into a lot more detail about this, but that's the biggest thing. It's it's really about what I say to people is, um, you know, before you start investing like a pro, you really have to think like a pro, and and how the most successful investors that I've ever come across, uh, how they invest is, you know, they, they look at the downside first. It's always about managing your risks. And once you've got your risks managed, the rest of it will just come automatically. You, you can build so much wealth if you minimize, minimize all the disasters. And that's all about risk management. So, yeah, that's, that's one thing I, I would bring along. And that's mm. one characteristic I think I would identify. That was one I was going to actually say that I believe that you have um, is that the risk management and you know how to to protect that downside. And that is actually one of the things that 
I didn't actually realize that I possessed from my Betfair trading. Because when I'm trading on Betfair, one of the first things that I do before entering any trade is look at the downside and I protect that. And yeah. that is something that just naturally, organically, without even thinking about it, that's the first thing I do when I'm looking at a development deal now. Uh, yeah. And just without even realizing it. Um, and I think because I'm, I'm getting slightly older and I'm talking to lots of different people now and I'm starting to reflect on some of those skills that I have from the trading and bringing that over. And that is one of the ones that I've really sort of noticed. And it's, it's so powerful. Like you say, once you've managed the downside and the risk, then everything else can fall into place. Yeah. Um, so I think that is a massive strength that you have. Yeah. So, yeah. um, slightly easier now the questions um when you think of the word successful who is the first person who comes to mind and why and please do not inflate brad lazarus anymore <laughs> let's not let it be brad from goliath okay, okay. <laughs> let's say apart from yourself ryan oh you <laughs> apart from you um i you for me, it's, that's an easy one. It's, um, you know, it's difficult to see beyond Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a legend, um, clearly, and um, in my eyes. I, you know, I think his investment approach, his approach to risk management, and um, everything is just, just brilliant. He's clearly very, very successful as an investor. And you know, I, just, I just love his whole approach. You know, I, I love his isms. So what, what did he say? Um, it's only when the it's only when the tide goes out you get to see who's swimming naked, and that goes back to risk management, you know. And it's, I, I love it. I, I love that quote. So do I. That is one <laughs> I just literally wrote down, and I'm gonna gonna plaster that one everywhere. I like that one a lot. <laughs> oh, and the, and the other one is um, it's um, better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price rather than a fair company at a wonderful price. Yes. I really like that one too. Yeah, they just make so much sense. Those those comments, don't they? When you they when do. you actually think about them, it's just it's just nail on the head kind of stuff, isn't it? It is. It is, and um, it makes you realise why he's been successful for so many years. Um, yeah, it's, repeatedly. It's, yeah, yeah. That was a great person. The next question is: What is the book that has had the biggest impact on you? Biggest impact. Um, it doesn't book. have to oh, be yeah. a business book. It can be any yeah. book in the world. Yeah. Do, do you know when I first started off um, my investment career, I I was recommended a book by somebody. It's, it's not a very well known book, but it's um, it's called Single Best Investment. And yeah. to be honest, I can't remember the author, and it was a while ago. But you know, it had a really big impact on me because. Um, Kind of influenced how I invested money professionally, and and again it's going back to compounding, but it really shows how powerful it is when you reinvest your your income, your dividends, your your investment growth. When you reinvest and when you watch how that grows through compounding over time, it's you know as we said earlier, it's so powerful. And that book really opened my eyes up to you know how that works in practice, um, and so. Yeah, that, that's probably had the biggest impact on me. What I'm reading right now, actually, is um, a book by Simon Sinek, uh, Start With The Why. 
And yeah, that's, that's a little bit more well known. But he's I mean, the guy is he comes across. I think you've probably seen his interviews yeah. on YouTube, and he's he comes across so well. Um, he's got a he's got a, a really famous um, video that went viral. It's about the millennials. Have a look at that. But this yeah. book is about start with the why, and and it's basically saying it doesn't matter what you do, it's why you do it, and um, and that's the really key thing in whatever business you're in. Really think carefully about why you do what you do, and and have that come out in in everything you do. Mm. Um, so that yeah, that's um, I'm only halfway through it, but it's a really good book. Highly that recommended. Is, yeah, that is a fantastic. Fantastic book. What I'm going to start doing with these podcasts, I think, monthly is everyone who's been on, who then gives gives me the book, I'm going to package those up and then do it as a bit of a competition. So whoever shares the podcast post, I will pick one person at random and then they will receive the books from the guest who say that they are the best books. Uh, Great idea. Yeah, just it came to me one one night I try to sort of section my day out into certain things that I do that work best for me and I'm quite creative in the evening and I was just walking along and that came to me um as it does all the time so I have an Evernote full of ideas that some of them are absolutely wacky but anyway I digress the last question before I let you go is what is the worst advice you see or hear in the property world? The worst advice, the worst advice. Wow, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not that bad actually. I, there's, uh, there's a lot of very good advice from all, all sorts of people. I think the worst, the worst thing is, um, and we've already touched upon this again a little bit, it's, it's when people talk about the gains, you know, when people are focused only on on what can be achieved which is great but i i think you know so people are constantly talking about the best case scenario and you know ultimately that's what you want to achieve right you want the things to go perfectly well but i think you know if you want good returns the way to achieve that on a sustainable basis is to make sure you know you know how to avoid the downside and as, as we've talked about already, and very few people really talk about risk management, um, you know, especially within the property world, and and that's absolutely key because, as you were talking about Betfair, and um, as we discussed earlier, it's always cover your downside, and make sure you're aware of what your downside is. You can never eliminate the, the risks, but make sure you're aware of the risks, and and manage those risks, and then you sort of can move forward and and. And and then you'll make money on an automatic basis almost. So I think um, I think people should focus more on that, and sometimes even start with the risks rather than going straight into into what is the best case scenario. Yeah, that's incredible advice. That's actually something that I I do with my architect, and it was quite strange when. First thing, because I, when I do a viewing now on a potential development, I take the architect with me and the builder. I don't go on my own and say to the architect, what's the worst case scenario? Like, what is the minimum that I can get on this site? And he's like, oh, you'll get loads. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't care about that. I want yeah. to know the minimum I can get on this site as it stands, because I'm pretty confident of what I'm going to be paying for it. And then I can work out 
the minimum that I can get, does it work at that level for me to even start to entertain it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I genuinely agree with you. I don't see many other people talking about the downside first. Um, and I think if they did, it, it would be a, a much better, better thing to do. So yeah. just, just before I let you go, Manish, just one quick last shout out for you. If people want to get in touch with you, um, because you have been absolutely incredible. And there is, I'm going to re-listen to this a couple of times just to go over some of the amazing things that you said. If they want to get in touch with you, if they want to go to the website, how can they do that? Uh, so yeah, the website is uh, investlikeapro.co.uk. All my contact details are there. Very happy to uh, chat over email. My phone number, I think, is on there as well. Um, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, email is manish at investlikeapro.co.uk. Um, those, I guess, are the main ways to get in touch. Thank you very much, Manish. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having for coming on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Pleasure's all mine.